Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Glad to have you in tonight on a Tuesday night right here on ESPN 1000 with a brand new ESPN Chicago app. At one point today, it was 62 degrees in Chicago. A good time to go see the Cubs or the White Sox or whatever team that was in town here on a Tuesday night. But we don't have baseball, and maybe we will this year. Maybe we won't have it this year. But it's likely, based on both sides of the aisle, players and owners attempting to put together a deal that will satiate each other um, you know what it comes down to, right? You know it comes down to money. It always does come down to money. So here's a simple breakdown from Jeff Passan, who does a great job on ESPN and ESPN.com of telling all of us as baseball fans exactly what the hell's going on. He says, before explaining, it's essential to understand how revenue works in baseball. So in football and basketball and the National Hockey League, they all have revenue splits. They also operate in salary cap systems, straight revenue splits in which sports-related income is pooled and distributed according to formulas agreed upon in collective bargaining negotiations, historically have been the domain of cap systems. Major League Baseball operates with no salary cap. So he goes on to say that in baseball, there are two streams of income for Major League Baseball. It is local and national. The local revenue includes television contracts, which range from somewhere between $20 million, like the Miami Marlins, to upwards of $250 million with the Los Angeles Dodgers and in-game proceeds. Major League Baseball estimates that 40% of revenue comes from tickets, concessions, and other gate-related income. Nearly half of local net revenue is pooled and it's shared National revenue comes from television contracts for the postseason and games of the week, league-owned media entities, Major League Baseball's advanced media, so on and so forth, licensing as as well as merchandising and corporate sponsorships. All national revenue is shared equally. So when you think about what Patson's writing about, I've read Ken Rosenthal as well earlier today from uh, theathletic.com. You know, the bottom line is for me, after reading all this today and hearing the different opinions, is that once again, you and I as fans, we're over here looking at baseball and both sides over on the sidelines while millionaires and billionaires fight once again. And I understand this is a whole different deal than a strike or a lockout in years past. But once again, you and I, the fan, are just waiting to be entertained and I know it's different because of this pandemic and COVID-19, but somehow, some way, Major League Baseball cannot get together. They can't find a way to put this together. So we can look at the numbers where it says that when you look at the players, they don't get paid beyond the lump sum of $170 million negotiated in their March deal. They lose a year of playing uh, because of the immense value. Uh, they also talks about the free agent market uh, after the 2020 season would crash. Talking about the players from their standpoint, they say the agents uh, on whom players uh, lean in for counsel, um, they don't receive commissions. So the, from the player standpoint, they're saying, okay, so are we going to get our full contracts? 
And you know that that's not realistic to get their full contracts, the full money that they're they're owed. They're not going to get the same money that they would get on the 1st and 15th. You know why? Because all of us or many of us in America are not getting our full amount on the 1st and 15th anymore. It includes me. The reason why you don't hear me on Thursdays and Fridays is because everyone had to take a haircut. Everyone had to be able to take a little less during this pandemic, during this COVID-19. So it's, it's an issue for everybody. And so for Major League Baseball players, when I read Tony Clark in his comments saying that, well, the owners are holding up this pandemic to, uh, to screw the players, not give them their full amount. Well, everyone is going through it. Everyone's going through it. And this is including the players and the owners as well. Sure, the owners have money. We know that. The players have money. But if there's no butts in seats, simply put, after reading all this today, I just come to the conclusion, like, if there's no butts in seats, it's pretty clear Major League Baseball is going to have a hard time being able to um, to be able to get that same revenue they once had. It'll be hard for them to do it with 82 games, 80 games, even a shorter schedule than that. It'll be very difficult for Major League Baseball to be able to recover that revenue because it's going to be lost because more than likely they're going to start the season, whenever it starts, if it starts, with no fans in the stands. They're so heavily reliant on those that buds and seats and the merchandise and the, the parking and everything else, and they don't have that anymore. Even with the TV contracts, they don't have this. As Ken Rosenthal wrote earlier today, because Major League Baseball's books are not public, it is difficult to verify Major League Baseball revenues. An industry source said, said that 40% of the league's overall revenue is gate or gate-related, while 51% of local revenue is gate or gate-related. Uh, those figures vary from club to club. But here's what it gets me with Tony Clark. Tony Clark says, who is the MLBPA executive director, a system that restricts player pay based on revenues is a salary cap period. This is not the first salary cap proposal our union has received. It probably won't be the last. Well, just like anything else, right? Life is a negotiation. And you're trying to figure out what's the best way for both sides to come together to get baseball back on the field. As Tony Clark says, uh, that the league is trying to take advantage of a global health crisis to get what they've failed to achieve in the past um, and try to negotiate through the media the last several days suggests they know exactly how this is going to be received. None of us uh, and none of this is beneficial to the process of finding a way for us to safely get back on the field and resume the 2020 season. As we talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Guys, listen, <laughs> Tony Clark says that the, the owners are holding are using this uh, global health crisis to achieve a, a salary cap on the players. But this obviously is something temporary until you start to see fans back in the stands. But here's what I would say. If I'm a player and I feel like, hey, I can't go back on the field until there is a solution to this COVID-19, until there is a cure I'm not going back in the field, then the player has every right. I will also say this, though. If you are a player and you're expecting to be able to get the full amount of money that is on your current current contract, that's just not happening. You're going to have to get a, a pay cut like everybody else. And now it comes down to, do I want to play for $20 million? I can't play for $20 million. Will I play for ten? Will I play for seven? Will I play for six? Now you have to determine whether or not you would play play for that. And, of course, you and I would. 
But if you're a major leaguer and what's on the line is your health and uh, your overall health and the money that will be doled out to you, which will be less, you have to determine whether or not you want to do that or not if you're a player. And my thought is, is that if it's, if I'm in the situation, I don't know if I don't think I would play unless I knew that I would be safe. I said this a, a few weeks ago talking about being a fan. Uh, when we talked about whether or not as a fan, would you go to Wrigley Field? Would you go to guaranteed rate? You know, some said yes, some said no. Everybody's different that way. But I'm just not going to risk my health. And, and I'm good because I would imagine if I'm a millionaire, I would have that generational wealth and try to save some and not live paycheck to paycheck as a millionaire. <laughs> if you're if you're going through that, you're making millions of dollars and you're still going paycheck to paycheck. That's that's on you. That's on you as the individual. Uh, but everybody's situation is different. And I just look at it from from this standpoint, man, it, it is. It just makes the fan feel even smaller that these players can't and these owners can't come to some kind of agreement on this without Tony Clark saying that this is something the owners do on purpose, trying to put a salary cap on it, knowing that the money that is in 2020 is not going to be the same as it was even two or three years ago. No matter what the TV money is, it's just not going to be the same. You know that I know that as well. So that's, you know, the players are doing what they want to do from their standpoint and the owners. Well, I mean, they're going to dig their heels in. They want to get, um, they want to be able to get baseball back in the field. And they eventually, in some of these cities and states, they want to be able to have fans back in games. And so they can be able to make their money too. So who knows? I thought maybe it was pie in the sky that maybe baseball will return on July 3rd, July 4th. Maybe it's not going to happen now. Maybe we won't have baseball. But I know if you're a player and everybody's different, if you don't feel comfortable, I don't blame players for not going back out there until we have some kind of cure or until we kind of, we solve this in one way, shape, or form. And I'm, I'm not being, for once, I'm not being selfish as a fan, saying that, oh, that I'm aware of these players, they need to come out here and entertain us. Hey, we've gone through a couple of months of this, and so you know, I, I hope that we were able to get baseball, But hope, but again, when they're healthy and when it's right, that's when we'll be able to see the game. So Jeff Passan from ESPN had a number of things to talk about regarding this. He says um, there's a disconnect between the owners and the players. What buttresses their argument right now, they believe, is the agreement in March that was signed between the players and uh, MLB. And in the players' minds, that says explicitly – that if a season begins, they will be paid a prorated salary based on the number of games. So 82 games, they're going to get about half of their salary. MLB's contention is that in this agreement, there's something of a poison pill, which is a phrase that says all of this is valid unless there are no fans in stadiums. Now, MLB is arguing that that little clause at the beginning of the contract applies two players' salaries. What the union is saying is that if you wanted that to be in the salary portion of the agreement, you should have put it in there explicitly. And because it's not in there explicitly, it's not valid. Also, Jeff Passon was uh, breaking down what if, right? There's always a big what if when it comes to these negotiations. What if... um players take a 50-50 deal. There's an argument to be made that they could actually make more money 
with the 50-50 revenue split than they would under the deal that they have right now. But the problem with this, Greeny, is that when you go with a 50-50 revenue split, God forbid that a second wave comes and hits and wipes out the playoffs, right? God forbid it hits, period. But if it wipes out the playoffs, that's a billion to a billion and a half dollars right there that just gets sliced off the books. And if you have a 50-50 revenue split and you lose a billion and a half dollars, that's why MLB is doing this to mitigate the risk of the potential for there to be no playoffs. So some some thoughts there from Jeff Passan on Get Up this morning uh, talking about um, the COVID-19 situation, as I mentioned before, I, I would like for baseball to return safely and being safe is important. Um, if it's not safe, the players should not play. And I know that both sides are trying to find a way to get this done. But however, as you and I both know, life is a negotiation. And I think that the players have to face the fact that during this pandemic, no, no matter how much money owners make, players uh, won't be able to get paid the exact amount that they would normally would expect on the 1st and 15th, because Major League Baseball teams, big and small, will have a huge loss in revenue. And, you know, it, it is uh, quite the reveal that we're seeing right now with some of these teams, Major League Baseball, the NBA as well, as far as how much they rely on us, you and I as fans, to go to games. So I'll ask you this question at 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our phone number. I want to find out from you how you feel about this as a fan. How do you feel about um, what we're seeing here with the owners and players? And if you're a player, do you go with the 50-50 split? Or do you want to go back on the field if you are a player? And then from the owner's standpoint, do they have a point? They are really going through it when it comes to, um, you know, they're hemorrhaging money. As I heard uh, David Kaplan mention earlier, $150 million or more that they'll be missing in revenue because of what's going on. And so let's talk about it. I just want to know how you feel as a fan about what's going on with this as baseball fans. Yeah, it would be great to see baseball back. But, man, it, I think that the players and the owners are so far away. They're so split on what is going on right now. So we'll get your thoughts in. Uh, also, hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweet Jay Hood uh, about this issue. And coming up, um, there's some thoughts about the last dance only in this regard. Scotty Pippen and Kevin Durant actually have more in common than you think. We'll talk about that and more coming up next on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. I was thinking about this yesterday, what we were busy talking about the last dance and had some other things that we had on the agenda for the Monday Under the Hood show. I was thinking about that there are certain athletes that don't even realize how special they really are. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So as we've been watching the last dance... There's a lot of things that you could take away from uh, the last dance. It's a lot of things you could look at with Michael Jordan, and you can, and we'll talk about Jordan a little bit later on in this hour. 
But there's a lot of things you can look at with The Last Dance, with Michael Jordan and the Bulls, the Bulls organization, uh, the late Jerry Krause and the way that he was handling things. Same thing with Jerry Reinsdorf as an owner. There's a lot of layers to this Last Dance. It's not just about Jordan. It's about the Bulls organization, the players around Jordan. But I was thinking about Scottie Pippen because we had a section of our show last night talking about Scottie Pippen and talking about Scottie as... A mercurial uh, individual, as obviously from the top, it's a, a great player, top 50 player, invented the point forward in a lot of ways, uh, terrific defender, terrific offensive player, the Robin to uh, Jordan's Batman. There's so many things that uh, he did well as a, as a star player for the Chicago Bulls team. Went on to Houston, went on to Portland, and has had a Hall of Fame career. But you know... When you watch The Last Dance, you know what really stands out is that Scotty was just never happy. From the beginning, he believed that he was as good or on the same par as Michael Jordan because it stayed in the documentary. You saw Charles Oakley slap him across the face. You know, it's just kind of like, hey, you know, snap out of it. Be part of this team. This is before the championship years, right? And then the the kind of bumps in the road with Scotty with the 1.8 seconds that was as we saw this past weekend, where Phil Jackson draws up a play for Tony Kukoc to get the game winning shot, but yet Scotty's like, no, I'm not getting off the bench because it should be designed for me. Even though that year was without Michael and the team worked well as a as a team, they moved the ball side to side. That was a memorable year because it was kind of like scoring by committee, but it was still led by Scotty without Michael being there. So that's the thing. And then, you know, Scotty Pippen not wanting to get surgery on time to line up with the rest of the team for that last run. He said he didn't want to F up his summer. And so the Bulls got to kind of a shaky start without Pippen. Then he got back into the mix after scheduling his surgery late. Uh, him mentioning that he wanted to be traded from time to time. It's a lot, right? It's just a lot, especially when you know things are going good. Yes, the, the thing that hovers over this team as you watch the documentary is, number one, will the Bulls win a sixth championship? Number two, is Kraus really going to break this team up, as he's been talking about all year, all throughout that last championship year? And so those are the things that permeated throughout that um, that particular season. But I want you to hear Scottie Pippen with Wayne Larravee, just some random interview that we found on YouTube in that last year uh, with, with, of Scottie Pippen being with the Bulls. Listen to how Scottie was speaking uh, in November of the, of the last year, uh, 97, November of 97 is when Scottie sat down with Wayne Larravee. Bulls on one hand and the team on the other hand. Uh, how has that changed now? I mean, and aren't you, if you step out of here, letting your teammates down, Michael and, and the rest of your folks? Well, I, I think that, you know, Michael as well as Phil and, you know, everyone understand the situation that I'm in. I mean, every player on this ball club realized that they're in a totally different situation. And there's no comparison to my situation compared to a guy like Michael or Dennis or Phil. I mean, uh, their future of playing this this game may not go any further. So, I mean, there's no more fun there for me without those those guys. I mean, even loving the city and loving the, the fans and everything that we've been able to accomplish there uh, is, is is not really in the atmosphere for us ball club anymore because there's too much dissension in the in the air surrounding the uh, team, and I don't I don't think that's where I want my my future to be headed. So. 
I have to look at it as as a business decision for me and for my career and what I, I, I want to do as a player. Scotty, I remember your remarks uh, opening night at home, the first home game, the ring ceremony. Um, it seemed to me like at that time you were saying goodbye to Chicago. Is uh, Did you know back then what you're saying now? Yeah, pretty pretty much. You know, uh, I had a big falling out with, with Jerry, I think, this summer for, for the final time. And I just know right now that, you know, my, my mindset of putting back on a Chicago Bulls uniform is uh, is, is, is not going to happen. Would you- Thoughts from um, Scotty Pippen with Wayne Larrabee. We talk about this with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I um, So I hear Scotty, and you can hear in his voice, like he knows that he's gone after this year, that he's no didn't want to deal with Jerry Krause. Uh, you mentioned he mentioned the conversation he had with Jerry, how contentious it was. So Scotty was going to leave. Now, I want to hear from Kevin Durant as a Golden State Warrior, not as a net, but as a warrior. What we're going to hear is kind of very similar to a lot of conversations that Kevin Durant, as a warrior, had with the media. So we've noticed that you hadn't talked for a while. Um, is it anything to do with anything on your mind, or has it just been coincidence that you haven't talked what, for some time? Why do you care? Because you'd usually talk. Oh, well, I don't feel, like, I feel like talking the last couple of days. It was anything in particular? No, I just didn't feel like it. Has anything to do with conversation about free agency? Yeah, that's the conversation you're going to have. I don't think about that type of stuff. That's your job. You've obviously been around the noise for so long. Is it bothering you more this year? Is it louder this year? It's unnecessary. You got to do Ethan Strauss who come in here and <clears throat> just give his whole opinion on stuff and make it seem like it's coming from me. And he just walk around here, don't talk to nobody, just walk in here and survey and then write something like that. And now y'all piling on me because I don't want to talk to y'all about that. I have nothing to do with the Knicks. I don't know who traded Porzingis. They got nothing to do with me. I'm trying to play basketball. Y'all come here every day, ask me about free agency, ask my teammates, my coaches. You rile up the fans about it. Y'all let us play basketball. That's all I'm saying. And now when I don't want to talk to y'all, it's a problem with me. Come on, man. Grow up. Grow up. Yeah, you. Grow up. Come on, bro. I come in here and go to work every day. I don't cause no problems. I play the right way. Well, I try to play the right way. I try to be the best player I can be every possession. What's the problem? What am I doing to y'all? You are talking. You are talking. So, who are you? <laughs> Durant also is in something I've talked about a lot on the show, talking about, you know, with him being a millennial, yes, it is about social media for him and being able to interact. It was kind of weird for Kevin Durant, a great player, to have several Twitter accounts, his own and a burner account. He talked about interacting with people on Twitter. Anytime you make like a social media comment, people say, why, why are you doing that? Why? Because I have social media. I mean, I'm a human being with a social media account. I can see if I venture off in like to politics or like culinary arts or music and give my input. But I'm sticking to something that I know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm actually talking about stuff that I know. Which I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I mean, I'm, uh, 
qualified to talk about you know, basketball. Man. So when I respond to something, especially if it's about me personally, of course, if I'm going to tell you if you're wrong about it, yeah. At the, at the moment, when I'm on the training table, getting treatment on my calves, and I see a two-day come back, and I disagree, I don't, I don't talk to people because I'm worried about what they say that I'm interested in. So if you talk about in-game or the NBA Finals, do the same thing. Now, here's the parallel I'm going to make with Scottie Pippen and Kevin Durant. It's not about them as players because you and I both know how great both of those players are. Kevin Durant, if he retired today, definitely would be in the Hall of Fame, Scottie Pippen, a Hall of Famer. So it's not about their game. It's not about how similar they are as far as their game or different how they are with their game. It's not about basketball. It is about how... Scottie Pippen, for his time from the beginning that he's with the Bulls, as it was put out there on the documentary, from the beginning to his time that he was done with the Bulls, there was always this tug of war of how much money I'm going to make and how I'm not as respected because Michael Jordan gets all the shine. I come out of Central Arkansas, and I'm a guy that deserves to be able to have this acclaim. I'm as good or or better than Michael Jordan. Now, you know that that's a lie. That it's no way that Pippen was ever better than Michael. But that's the Pippen's mentality, which is fine. You want to be able to have that mentality like I, I can be as good or better than the best player because that drives you. That gets you going, and that's fine. But Scottie Pippen, for whatever reason, as you saw him not wanting to come off the bench with that 1.8 seconds with Tony Kukoc from how he felt that he was disrespected from a money standpoint, contract standpoint, how he, he was always in it, into it with Jerry Krause. He always felt that he didn't get the respect that he deserved. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that comes from him being one of 10 or uh, 11 kids uh, that he grew up with in Arkansas and it feels like he never got his uh, fair shake and didn't get his piece of the pie or whatever it was. But I know he's great. And if you ever saw him play, you know he's great. That's the thing that's such a disconnect for me. Kevin Durant the same way. It's different because Scotty did not complain about this on social media because there was no social media when he was uh, in the league with the Chicago Bulls. But from Kevin Durant's standpoint, Kevin Durant was arguing with himself and others on social media with a burner account trying to prop himself up to Twitter eggs with two followers. Now, I understand for some, you, they just, you live and breathe with social media like you've got because this is the era of hearts and likes and like me and like this. And follow me, and all because that's where we are in 2020. I get that, but the thing that was always a disconnect for me is that Kevin Durant is a great player, top two, maybe top three player in this league. You can make the argument that he's the best, or you can say he's um, on the same par as LeBron. Whatever, I know he's a top three player. I know that. Anybody that knows the NBA knows that. But somehow Kevin Durant doesn't know that. The only person that doesn't know uh, Scottie Pippen is Scottie Pippen. It's Scottie Pippen. The only person that doesn't know Kevin Durant is KD is KD, which is crazy to me. You can look in the mirror and see that, hey, you know what? This is who I am. I'm Scottie Pippen. I'm Kevin Durant. But there's a sadness there. There's a disconnect there where they always are fighting for respect. And I don't understand it. Like, who cares if a Twitter egg or me or Sean or anybody else feels differently about how you are perceived in the league. If you think that you're great and you prove it every night, it's pretty, the numbers speak for themselves. 
They speak for themselves. We know that these guys are great. I don't know why these two are been are tortured, but Scottie Pippen from the Bulls, always an issue, always a problem. Wondering what, saying to the press, "Yeah, I'm gonna get." Who says I'm going to want a trade when you're playing with Michael Jordan? Who who says that? You have won five championships now. I'm just, I need to get out of here. Why? Yeah, there is pressure. Yeah, there's other thing that's going on. But you know, Scottie Pippen, for who he was was a great player, but never a leader. And that's not destined for everybody. Everybody can't lead. Scottie Pippen proved that when he's with the Chicago Bulls. He can lead by example on the floor, but as far as what we've seen from Michael, that vocal leader, or that someone that can lead the team and represent the team well, uh, Scottie failed in that, uh, in that particular aspect uh, of his personality um, a number of times with the Bulls doesn't take anything away from him being a great player, but there's been already two, three, four examples that I lived with and I broadcasted about in the nineties. And now it's coming to uh, fruition again in 2020. Cause we see it in the documentary where he didn't, he didn't lead. He didn't know how to lead. I was at the United center when he threw that chair. Well, he was against the San Antonio Spurs uh, in the game. Like what is it? He just snaps off. Strange. Same thing with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant uh, saying just as of late was like, yeah, I was never comfortable with the Warriors because there's always Warriors and KD. No, you were part of a champ- a great championship team. <laughs> but he always felt like he was uh, away from Draymond, away from Steve Kerr, away from Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. He just thought, I was just an add-on. Well, you did come over from the Oklahoma City Thunder, but you were still part of a terrific team. Always felt tormented. Always felt like he was the second, third, fourth banana. When he was making a lot of great shots and was really carrying that team a number of times when the three-point shot wasn't falling for Clay or Steph in many games. So that that's why I, I find it kind of just odd. I don't understand that. Um, and I wish that KD one day will wake up and say, you know what, I am great, and it's okay that someone doesn't think I'm great on, from, on social media. Because the Twitter egg says I'm not great, I gotta, fi- I gotta fight him. I gotta get that, <laughs> I gotta get that Twitter egg, I gotta beat him up. Wait, there's another one, I gotta, like whack-a-mole on Twitter for, for Kevin Durant. And why, when you're great? How do you have that much time to do that? I can imagine Scotty Pippen on social media during that time, how that would have been the same. Because Scotty was great, and Scotty didn't know how, I mean, I knew he was great. You knew he was great if you watched him, and he didn't, for some reason, he never knew. Because he's always fighting to try to get respect. Always fighting for the dollar. And I, I get that, but I respect him. And many Bulls fans respect him, too. I don't think that he still doesn't understand that to this day. Just based on what we've heard and, and him saying that, which was really the cherry on the Sunday. um, if I had to do it all over again, I would sit out another 1.8 seconds and let Tony Kugos take that last shot because it should have been drawn up for me. Still bitter. Still bitter about it now in 2020, which is crazy to me. Jonathan Hood with you here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Oh, speaking of the Bulls, coming up next, George Carl. You know that you've seen him uh, pop up in the documentary for The Last Dance um, this past Sunday. So... There's some revisionist history that's been thrown out there about a certain trade with the Bulls. Carl apparently knew about it. We discuss it coming up next on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. 
This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Reading uh, Sham Sharania from The Athletic, he just tweeted this. He says the uh, NBPA has sent out a memo to agents stating since um, his players and NBA both want to finish the 2019-2020 season and inform reps of the players listed below serving on a new committee working with the league on potential plans. Um, this is from Sham Sharania, so I'm reading from his Twitter. And uh, and uh, no, it, it says they want to finish the 2019-20 season. I would imagine they would start with the playoffs because the regular season for the Eastern and Western Conference, I think the top 16 teams are solidified. There is no battle back for the Bulls or whatever team that's in the 9th or 10th or 11th spots. I haven't looked at the standings in months, so but I – there is no battle back for teams in the East and West. If you want to start this thing, start it with the playoffs if it's going to happen. And I just, just like baseball we talked about earlier, I don't know how this works for the NBA. But as Shams says, that uh, there's a sense that the NBA players and owners want to be able to um, finish the 1920 season. I just don't know how. Um, but apparently on this call, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Jason Tatum, Kyle Lowry, and Dwight Powell. Um, amongst those that are on that call that was on to try to have their return to play strategy. So we'll keep our eyes on that story as it uh, moves forward. If it, if it happens, it's like baseball. If it happens, it's great. I just don't know in what form. Um, I don't know how, you know, where these would take place. I would doubt it be at the home gyms. I imagine it's going to be in one place or two places, but you know, we'll see how that all materialize, but I'm, I'm hoping they don't finish the rest of the regular season because that takes too long. I also like to see what kind of shape these players are in, how long of a preseason they need to get back on the on the floor if this is going to happen. So I guess I mentioned we'll keep our eyes on that story. So George Carl, interesting name. George Carl, longtime NBA coach. His face popped up. The John Lithgow-looking George Carl was there uh, on the Last Dance documentary. And... The Bulls took on the Seattle Supersonics, of course. I always felt pretty confident the Bulls could get past the Sonics. We talked earlier about Scottie Pippen wanting to be traded. We heard that uh, interview that we found hidden someplace on YouTube as he talked to Wayne Larravee uh, about you know wanting to be traded and feels like he's not going to be in a, on a, in a Bulls uniform again. So George Carl was on Carmen Yurko earlier today, and apparently... A trade was in place for Scottie Pippen. Now, before we hear this, Davis, let me just point this out. So in 20, let me see, in 1997, Michael Jordan, quote unquote, nixed a Tracy McGrady to Scottie Pippen trade. I don't know if you recall this or not. Yeah, um, Tracy was talking about this on the jump just recently, as a matter of fact. Tracy McGrady, the Bulls tried to trade Scottie Pippen for me on draft night, but Michael Jordan vetoed the deal. Wait, I thought Krause was the, the GM. How, is that part of the documentary? Does he? Does you? Do you see Jordan talking about now? No, no I, I don't want uh, T Mac. I want to keep Scotty. I hope that's on there. That might um, got left on the director's table. <laughs> yeah, but let's put that out there. Yeah. But let's put that for those that did not know. Yeah, so there was a, a possibility that a young T Mac could have been with Michael Jordan, but uh, the Bulls tried to trade for Scotty Pippen. Uh, tried to, to trade Scottie Pippen for uh, McGrady, 
but veto the deal. So that's one story. But how about this from George Carl? Let's hear from George Carl. There was a, a Scotty Pippen trade in place where Pippen was supposed to go to Seattle, but uh, that didn't work out either. Jerry Cross and I negotiated what we what we, what were the major steps of the trade, but the trade could not be made because they wanted someone in the draft. The draft pick that we had, I think it was number twelve or thirteen. They wanted that pick, and they wanted the player to the, the player had to be there for the trade to be consummated. So you know, on Saturday or Sunday, I met with my ownership and and talked about the trade and said that this is something we wanted to do. And at that time, we got the okay. But how, whatever happened, however it got out on the streets of Seattle on Monday or Tuesday, I think the draft was Tuesday night, but the streets of Seattle was totally against the trade. Hmm. And because of the, the reaction uh, of that, my owner backed out. And Jerry Cross still kept trying to make the trade. And I was kept telling him, I said, Jerry, I can't make the trade. And actually, you know, Jerry actually starts spending, you know, throwing money around because he wanted the trade to be made. And I, and we're like, we're five minutes away from the draft. And I said, Jerry, it doesn't matter. We're not making the trade. <laughs> no matter how high you go, it's not going. So, you know, it was an interesting experience to go through. Was that play, was that no, was that player of? Do you remember how the draft played out? Like, was the player the Bulls needed to get available? Uh, the way Jerry was reacting, he was available, but I didn't have permission to make the okay. trade after right. after I was told on Monday night or Tuesday morning that we want I want to keep Sean. The owner said I want to keep Sean. And oh, that, wow. that was the parameter of it all. Okay, so this won't be in the documentary, I'm sure. So Davis, so we're supposed to understand that we could have seen Sean Kemp and Michael Jordan together because Kraus wanted Pippen out so badly. As you can see, the relationship was frayed, and Pippen was saying things about uh, Jerry Kraus to the press, and so he wanted Pippen out. You can trade Jordan. That wasn't going to happen, but he wanted to trade Pippen. So you're saying, based on what George Carl is saying, there could have been a possibility that last year of Kemp and Jordan together. Yeah, I remember the clip you just played where Wayne Larry was talking to Pip. Pip said over the summer he got into it with Jerry Krause a couple of times. So I'm sure this is one of the times when he found out about this possible deal. Jerry Krause consistently pushed for it. Uh, we just heard from George Carl. He told him, man, we can't make the deal. My owner said he doesn't want to do it. I'll give you some money. I'll do this. I'll bring Benny out to the to the draft <laughs> yeah. in a Sonics uniform or something. It's like, man, he was just willing to go above and beyond and do everything he could possible to get Scottie Pippen out of Chicago. Well, I would say the Bulls still would have won the sixth championship, but it would have been a considerably throttled down Sean Kemp. Let's just put it that way. Like Kemp was above the rim. He was a high flyer, um, a ferocious dunker, you know, a terrific player for his day. But that like, Kemp would have to learn defense, and I don't, that would have been a crash course. He would have to con- really confine and, and really conform to what the Bulls were doing. I'm just telling you that right now. I'm not saying it wouldn't have worked, but it would have been a crash course where Kemp wasn't going to be the man. I'm not even sure he'd be the second or third best player after being broken down by Michael, but it it'd have been interesting for sure. I definitely think Mike would have found a way to push him. We've seen that Mike had a way 
of working with players, whether it was Scotty early on in his career. And last week we saw how he pushed Scott Burrell, which that post-up face Mike made when he got the ball in the box was hilarious. But I think Mike would have found a way to try and push and motivate Sean Kemp. The interesting thing would be, and we talked about it before the segment started, who wins that series if you flip Scotty and Sean Kemp? The Bulls. You, the Bulls still pull it out? Yeah. I mean, Sam, Detlef Shrimp, Pip, GP, that's that's a pretty nice team. Here's what you want to see. Pippen against Jordan if, if Pippen's in a Seattle uniform. Because apparently Gary Payton was going to get that time until, until, the, <laughs> until the back was against the wall. Right. So, because they did, cause Gary the glove wanted uh, Jordan and couldn't get him, according to George Carl. Uh, so that so they could, the draft pick, I'm thinking if it was as George said, like twelve or thirteen, or whatever. Like, I think Jerry wanted Austin Crozier. Yeah, that's the type of player he loved. Austin Crozier ended up going to Indiana with the twelfth pick, and Derek Anderson from Kentucky went to Cleveland at thirteen, and Mo Taylor from Michigan went to the Clippers at fourteen. So it had to be a guy in between twelve to seventeen, I would say, that Jerry Krause wanted. Uh, we really love Scott Pollard. Uh, good program from Kansas. Uh, can give us a lot. Uh, good old boy. Uh, he'll work well with us. I think that's what he's looking at. He's looking at Scott Pollard type. Uh, we will uh, redraft, by the way, the 1988 draft. So we ask you to open up a tab coming up at um, at 8.30 for Tales from the Hood. We do this every Tuesday. So we're going to look into the Will Purdue draft, the 1988 draft. We'll get into that. Um, and coming up, we will... <laughs> You know, it's amazing. The people that do what I do for a living, they always try to pick things apart. I'll give you the latest coming up next on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Hey, Chicago, Duncan wants you to know that they're here to help you get running again with a free medium iced or hot coffee on Wednesdays for DD Perks members Not a DD Perks member. Join the Duncan app today and use it for uh, an easy, contactless way to order and pay. America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer exclusions apply. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We will take a look at the NFC North with Courtney Cronin from ESPN. We did the Packers last night. We're going to do the Vikings tonight. She covers the Vikings for ESPN.com. She'll give her thoughts about the um, the Bears, the Vikings, everything else in the NFC North. That's coming up in our next segment at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. And don't forget, we've got Tales from the Hood. We want you to open up a tab. Look for the 19... 19- 88 draft, the Will Purdue draft. We're going to redraft that. That's always fun. We'll do that coming up at 830 right here on ESPN 1000. Damon Amendolara, do you know that name? DA, the DA show. I don't usually do this, but I just had to point this out. Um, From CBS radio, a a colleague, you could say, Damon Amendolara um, calls out Last Dance one-sided storytelling. So I saw this from... um, Barrett's sports media and Jason Barrett's been a, a, a friend and has been on this program because he's a big wrestling fan. Uh, if there is one common critique of ESPN's docuseries, The Last Dance, it is that the film subject, Michael Jordan, uh, had totally 
editorial control. Michael says, according to DA, in 1993, my dad was pushing me to play baseball. What? Why? That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know um, what filter you have to run through for that to make sense, the host said. Can we get mostly uh, get most of the family to discuss what's been going on in Michael's head upon the loss of his father? And if that just scratched his brain so much that he couldn't make a clear decision because of this documentary, it's just, of course, one plus one equals two here. Dad died. I was burned out. I went to play major league uh, minor league baseball. So I was just going through this, reading this, and uh, I would just I would just say this, that. It is uh, amazing how many look at this documentary in, with 2020 eyes. You know, the, the DA, and I've, I've heard his show before, and I, I think he does a really good job. I just would disagree with him in this regard. The, if you're going to have a documentary and you are the executive producer of the documentary, you can do whatever you want with the documentary. This is not one of these things where here's the documentary. So in the middle of the documentary, we're going to have a hot take show to debate what is being said by Michael Jordan. That's just stupid. It's stupid. It's a documentary about how Michael Jordan sees the Chicago Bulls. And I understand, hey, the the new age talk show host that's got to be able to, you know, pick, you know, pick at things and throw slings and arrows uh, at uh, great players. You just have to do it, right? Well, actually, you don't have to do it. My, my thought is, is that Michael Jordan is telling the story from his standpoint. And so there is no debate from his standpoint. Now, of course, we as fans can be able to debate it. I got no problem with that. But just understand that his father dies. So it's not up to me as a talk show to say, well, his father died. So why wasn't he in mourning for 10 years? How I, come, come he went right back into playing baseball? Because he wanted to, because it's his life. Now, there is when you cross the line as a talk show host, when you start looking at, uh, at someone that's going through a tough time where his father says, I really would love you for you to play baseball, almost his dying wish it ends up being in 93. And so he leaves basketball to play baseball, and but yet it's still not enough. He tells a story of why he did it. It's still not enough. This is where hot take shows and talk shows get on my last nerves. It's so ridiculous. A guy is in mourning. He decides to do something else with his life. And so we got to tear that down too. I know, listen, I know it's about hot takes in 2020, but here's the bottom line. When it comes to someone's kids or someone is dying, I don't think that's something for us into. I know it's going to happen anyway, but I know that I got a little bit more class to than to be able to delve into something like that. Because the bottom line I look at, at Jordan, and he's telling the story from his standpoint, not from a hot taker standpoint, not where there's a desk where two people can debate exactly what Jordan is saying from clip to clip. His dad died, and he decided to do what he wanted to do after his dad passed away, Some, a conversation that they had. One plus one equals two, but when you're a hot taker, it equals five. Courtney Cronin is next. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000.